Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. Are you ready to unlock the full potential and growth in your business? You've already crossed seven figures in sales, but the challenge is knowing how to take your business to the next level. Join Josh Hadley, an eight-figure e-com business owner and investor, as he interviews highly successful business owners. Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world. Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hadley, where I interview the top business leaders in e-commerce. Past guests include Adam Heist, Kevin King, and Michael E. Gerber, the author of The E-Myth. Today, I'm speaking with Steve Cadigan, an advisor and talent hacker of Cadigan Talent Ventures. He's LinkedIn's first chief HR officer and the author of WorkQuake, embracing the aftershocks of COVID-19 to create a better model of working. And today, we are going to be talking a lot about shaping your culture and building a team to help take your brand to the next level. This episode is brought to you by Ecom Breakthrough Consulting, where I help seven-figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. Listen, Steve, I started my business in 2015, and I grew it to an eight-figure brand in seven years. I made a lot of mistakes along the way that made the path of getting to eight figures take a lot longer than it needed to. I certainly made a lot of mistakes as it related to hiring my first team members. How do I actually identify A-level talent, and how do I actually build an operating system where my team could actually work efficiently in and help take our brand to the next level. So to our listeners, those of you who have hit similar plateaus and want to know the next steps to take your brand to the next level, then go to ecombreakthrough.com. That's ecom with two M's to learn more. And as a special bonus to my podcast listeners, this month I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session at no cost. All you need to do is email me at josh at ecombreakthrough.com and in your subject line, say strategy audit, and then tell me why I should choose you and your brand to work with for this month's strategy audit. But today, I am super excited to introduce you all to Steve. Steve is a true luminary in the world of talent advisory. His expertise has been sought after by some of the most prestigious organizations on the planet, including giants like Google. Salesforce, the Royal Bank of Scotland, and the BBC. Not only that, he's been a trusted advisor of top-tier venture capital and consulting firms like Sequoia and McKinsey. Throughout his illustrious career, Steve has consistently demonstrated his ability to build teams, shape cultures, and transform organizations into nothing less than world-class performers. His remarkable achievements have garnered accolades from esteemed publications such as the Wall Street Journal and Fortune magazine, solidifying his reputation as a true industry visionary. In recognition of his outstanding contributions, Steve Cadigan was rightfully named one of the top 200 global thought leaders in the realm of people and talent in 2021. And he has recently pivoted into helping new businesses and entrepreneurs shape their own cultures and build teams in order to help scale their businesses. So today we are super excited to have Steve onto the podcast. So Steve, welcome. Great to be here, Josh. I'm really looking forward to this. Steve, obviously from that bio, you've got so much experience. You have seen so much, you know, throughout your experience of, you know, advising, uh, providing a lot of recommendations to giants, like you mentioned, Google, Salesforce, et cetera, and then all the way down to helping new startups. And so Today, for our entrepreneurs that are listening to this show, like you are going to be dropping some knowledge bombs that I think are going to help them experience some mindset shifts that they've never experienced before. So super grateful to have you here. Steve, I would, I'm going to start by kind of segueing our conversation into you've worked with so many big consulting firms and corporations. Why are you focusing now on small startups? Well, you know, it's interesting, Josh, and I really like the way you started to talk about yourself in the beginning, which is starting with humility and authenticity, that we're here because of, uh, you know, uh, in recognition of how we learn from our mistakes, right? And what I learned over time is that whilst I love the complexity of large organizations, 
What is uh, infinitely harder to do is change a culture than it is to build a culture. And what I like to really focus on right now and feel like I've had the great honor of having that my last regular ride be the rocket ship of LinkedIn. Um, I have a, a lot of experience, you know, with changing big cultures, but it's a lot more fun, I think, to grow a culture mm -hmm, for sure. So that's sort of the main reason why I like to, to stay in that space. I love that. And Steve, I think that that's what's so interesting out of all the things that you could talk about. There's hiring hacks to talk about. There's, you know, how to get the most productivity out of your team. The one thing that you've, you know, gone back to is this subject of culture. So tell me, why is building culture so important? And as entrepreneurs begin their adventure of, you know, scaling their business, hiring team members, how should they be thinking about building their own culture? Well, for me, it's pretty simple. You know, there are a lot of ingredients that could, are going to go into how you get to one plus one equals 100. Um, but nothing more powerful than building an environment where people can do their best and where your team can realize something phenomenal together. Uh, I got into this world of talent because of my love for sports. And not only as an athlete do I love competing, but I love seeing how people handle situations. How do you handle being the star? How do you handle not being the star? How do you handle when you being on a team when you used to be the star and you're no longer the star? How do you handle defeat, victory? What kind of coach gets the best out of you? How do you handle being behind? Are you calm or are you freaking out? Or you know how do you handle your teammates when they make a mistake? And that plays out to a massive uh, degree when you're in an organization and there's so many teams and so many different dynamics going on. But one of the things that I've learned is, over time is if you set the right model in place, this is how we're going to play. This is what's important to us. This is what we believe in. It requires less handholding. It requires less, you know, governance. If you just sort of lay it out and you lead by example and you show the team, this is how we think we can really optimize, uh, then you're going to be able to, I think, achieve something really, really great. Uh, so, for example, one of the things that I'm super proud of is the culture we built at LinkedIn. It's still by by many accounts seen uh, by investors, by um, other competitors in the industry that LinkedIn's culture was phenomenal. We built a brand new industry in the shadows of Google, Apple, Facebook, when they could outbid us, out recruit us and out hire us for a while. Uh, and we were able to do that very successfully. And I think that's because we had a culture to the point where. When we had a, a sales conference, most of the conversation was about our values, not about what the targets were going to be for the quarter or for the year. Mm -hmm. And that allowed you know, people to come in and say, when's the sales VP going to focus on the numbers? And the answer was, we're not going to focus on the number. We're going to focus on how we get to that. And it's really, you know, Simon Sinek said, you know, better than I ever could. You know, it's all about the how and the why. And I think that's really important. But I will say this, Josh, I got to tell you, I talk about culture all day and there's a lot of non-believers out there. Why? Because they've worked in a place where leadership said the culture was this and they did the opposite. They looked at that as like a trap, like poison. And they were so turned off by being in a place where everyone was talking about the culture. But the leaders would do, you know, do what I say, not what I do. For example, Mark Benioff was quoted recently as saying, everyone back to the office except for me. I really do my best work in Hawaii, so I'm going to go there. And it was just such a great, you know, sar sarcastic moment for those of us on the sidelines. Well, like, how could you say that, Mark? Like, you, they have to do this and you don't. Because now you've just, I think, really undermined building a great culture. So what I will say to those of you here who have been burnt by culture or who don't believe, if that's how you feel, please don't tell your people you do care about culture. You do more harm saying you do when you don't than if you just say, yeah, I'm not really sold on it. So you know, this is how we're going to roll. And we don't I don't want to call it culture or anything like that. And, you know, when I started at LinkedIn, our CEO was the first time he'd ever been a CEO. We're about 400 people. OK, this is 2009. And he was coming out of Yahoo and uh, Warner Brothers. And in both companies, he had such a bad experience where they had all these posters on the wall about this is how we behave. And the leaders did the opposite. And whenever he saw a culture poster, he looked at it like it was a trap, like someone he was going to you know, have to follow some sort of behavior that he didn't have any hand in building or constructing. And so he told me on my first day on the job, I'll never forget. He's like, do I never want to see a culture poster? And he was a non-believer. 
you know, roll the tape forward. And it's a whole nother story for another time. You know, we were walking around the company two years later and he said, I never thought culture would be our competitive advantage, like how we're going to beat these other companies that can outpay us. And, and he goes, I never would have believed that, but we built really something, uh, something magical. So I think it's a, it's a superpower. It takes a little while to get right and it's never perfect. And there is no one perfect culture, which is another fun part of all this. What culture is right for you may be different than the culture is right for me. Just like there's all kinds of different team chemistries and sports, right? So, but it is worth checking out, you know, and just sort of say, where do my, where do I and my team, where do we create the best value? What's happening? It's, you know, what time of day? What, what are we going to dress? How do we talk to each other? How do we make decisions? You know, and, and by the way, everyone who's listening right now, whether you've talked about culture or not, you have a culture. You've already started behaving in ways of, well, who are you sharing information with and who's not getting information or what kind of office norms are you building, you know, or, or not building? And when are people showing up or when are they not? Or are you calling people on the weekend? Or are you not calling them on the weekend? There's all kinds of culture that's already being established, whether it's been intentional or not. Right. Steve, I love that. Um, I think that is such an like important message. And you shared so many gold nuggets there that. <laughs> I think, I, you know, I could dig, dive down a million different rabbit holes right now, but mm -hmm. here's where I think we should kind of like start or begin okay. our deep dive is this, as you are working with these startups and these entrepreneurs, you know, our listeners are going to be seven figure, you know, e-commerce sellers. They've already found some success, but building out a team and reaching a, a level of scale to get to eight figures and beyond is probably a new challenge for many of them. So if you've already got a business where they've they've got money coming in the door, they've already proven out the business model, but they need team in order to scale. Where do you start? How do you, you know, create a culture? How do you determine what your culture is going to be? And how do you start finding the right people? Mm -hmm. well, let me first uh, empathize with the people who are struggling with that. I want to be great, uh, except I'm not sure I want all the drama of people. Cause let's be honest, like the more people there are, there's just more, this is who we are. We are very compl uh, complex creatures as human beings. When I was at LinkedIn, again, we were just 400 people. Like every executive was, I call it a big company refugee. Like we do not want to be big because big means bloated, big means bureaucracy, big means dehumanizing the experience. And we're all just a bunch of rats in a treadmill, right? We just like, we don't want that at all. But at some point we said for us to realize our destiny, for us to change the world in the degree that we want to, we're going to need to bring some team members in here because we not have you ever been a, a built a billion dollar business? We're looking around. Nope. Haven't done it here. Has this industry ever existed before? Nope. It has it. Okay. So let's go get some pioneers. Let's go get some people who can give us some adult supervision, if you will, and really help us. And, uh, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean, by the way, an employee could be an advisor could be in an advisory committee. Um, you know, you don't have to hire those people to really, to really help you. But you know, the, where I would start is sort of say, listen, if you, if you want to understand the norms is I would start getting your team together, the whole team together and say, what is the best part about working here? Like, why do you want to work here? And that exercise, it seems so obvious, Right. But I spent my whole career, Josh, in very big companies and no one ever, you know, we never sat down and said, why does anyone want to work here? Because we thought the answer was obvious because we're nice. We're in a, we're doing important work. We treat people right. This is a great team, great culture. We got great leadership, good investors, good destiny, good financial future. Right. The problem is everyone says that everyone says that. Right. So we're nice. We're friendly. Beer Fridays, my casual work, you know, really cool. Got a good sense of humor. We like you. I'm like, man, every all people here is blah, 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 beer on Friday. You know, it's like, that's it. So what the best place to start is why does anyone want to work here? Because when you ask that question, it's not like what's our what should our culture be? It just sort of when you ask that question, it's like going to your teenager and say, let's sit down and have a conversation. Just the walls come up and everyone's perception of what culture means is so different to me. I just try to keep it simple. What can what kind of environment can we build where people just do their best stuff? And the, the challenge with that is nobody has the same answer. It's always different. What motivates me is different than what motivates you. So once you start 
asking for simple questions. Give me an example. Like, what is it here? Well, I got freedom. I've got more autonomy to make a choice. Uh, you're really open as a, as a CEO sharing information. That's why I love working here. I love the difference we're making in the community or the impact or we're helping people realize independence and financial freedom, whatever it is. The next question that you need to ask, once you've got a good list of that, because that's really your culture, what you've just answered when you ask the question. The next question is, what assets do we have that really make us unique? Okay. And I'm not saying it's kind of like when you're uh, in elementary school, you don't want to be different. And then when you get to middle school, you want everyone wants to be different. Like I want to be the teenager that's totally different. That's what you need to bring out in this conversation about what unique assets do we have that no one else has. And I, I, I sort of translate into that's your ticket to getting the best talent in the world. Because the best talent in the world wants to solve great problems. They want to solve big problems, big gnarly problems, and they want to make a difference and feel valued. And so you need to draw them in. What honey do you have that's going to attract the bees that you really want to uh, to be able to do that? That's how I'd, I'd get started. You know, some people say culture should be driven top down. Some people it's bottom up. I like to say, it, you know, if your audience is the size that you say it is where, you know, it could be maybe anywhere from a small team of five to, you know, a dozen or two. Get get the group together and sort of ask them because what brought them there may surprise you. You know, for example, when we were uh, yeah, I was working with a company recently and um, I was asking the people like, so why are, why did you why did you come here? And one person said, oh, I saw on Glassdoor. There's this really great review. Now, my brain used to think Glassdoor was just a, a wasteland of, you know, disgruntledness, right? <laughs> like just people <laughs> ripping their former employer. And this person who was great said, oh, I went there and people really spoke highly of this experience. And I was like, whoa, okay, that totally reshifted my thinking around. I need to put some assets on, you know, Glassdoor to attract some more, you know, good people like this person. So yeah. that's where I start. That's fantastic. I love that question of, you know, why do you like working here? And I love that follow up question of what assets mm -hmm. do we have? My question would be this, I think maybe, and even for myself, I'm asking the question, what assets do I have um, in our own business? Because if I were to ask our team, why do they enjoy working here? I would say it's many of the similar things that you kind of mentioned where mm -hmm. people feel like they get to make decisions and they get to own the results. Um, they have more flexibility with their time. Everything's remote. They don't have to go into an office, mm -hmm. right? Those are some of the things that we've heard. So now my question is like, well, okay, so what are the assets that we have? So Steve, like, can you give me maybe some case studies or examples of like, what are those assets that can truly set you apart and be able to, you know, acquire a level talent that's mm -hmm. attracted to a startup? Okay. And this is the question everyone's asking me right now. You know, the whole backdrop to our conversation right now is we have the most complex state of the union of work that we've ever had. It's harder to hire people. It's harder to hire people with the qualifications that you need. It's harder to keep those people than ever before. And what I'm, you know, and skills are changing faster than ever. So the skills you need today will be different next year and the year after. So, uh, and universities are struggling. We have more universities going out of business than ever before. We have more people deciding not to go to university. We have more people changing majors to the point that, the public accounting firms in America have declared uh, that accountants are an endangered species. No joke. Look it up. KPMG is like, we can't hire and can't find accountants. So what I, where I'm going with this, Josh, is to sort of say, listen, I think the most important asset for the economy right now that is on, the, I don't think it's viscerally um, and, and cognitively recognized by a lot of people, but folks are terrified that AI and robots are going to replace them. Okay. And the truth is all of, even white collar work is getting replaced at a faster clip than blue collar work by artificial intelligence. Okay. So it's a moment in time. So what do I need to offer to really stand out and get the best people and not only get the best people, but get the best people to do the best that they can possibly do. And I think that is the opportunity to learn. Okay. And I'm not saying, Hey, or you join me over here. Um, we're going to have a seminar from the local university business school, which is awesome. No, we have to design work to deliver new experiences, new growth, new challenges. Um, and that I think fuels 
their security that whatever happens here, if we go under and most small businesses don't make it, if we go under or I get laid off, I'm good because they've invested in me and I'm working on the latest tools, the latest, you know, processes and so forth. And that is a big, big component, right? So not only make decisions, but I'm going to get to take on things that on paper, I might not be given the opportunity to do somewhere else. Okay. And this is, you know, I, we talked off air a little bit. This is the book that I'm in the, in the process of putting together right now is that a lot of cognitive science is pointing to the fact that a disproportionately higher amount of energy is produced in an individual when they're challenged with solving a new problem. And the, and the difficulty with that is we've designed work to prevent that from happening usually because the longer I keep you doing what you're doing, the same thing, the more confidence I have you're going to deliver a reliable and consistent result. But if you ask any executive, when's that moment when you had that career breakthrough? It's when someone took a chance on you that they didn't, you know, they didn't have to do and you were presented with a new situation and you're a little scared, maybe a lot scared. That was pretty much how I felt walking into LinkedIn. I was like, I have no right to build a company. Never done it before. Are you sure you got the right guy? You know, and they're like, oh yeah, we got the right guy. I was like, okay. Uh, and I'd never been so energized and terrified at the same time. So what I would say is the way to look about framing your culture and your organization to have competitive advantage today is come here and I promise you, you will learn more. Uh, and your career trajectory will benefit from that than anywhere else you could go. I might not be able to pay you as much right now. I might not be able to have that fancy Italian espresso machine that other people have or the on-site child care center that you can have if you go over there to Google or the sushi chef and so forth. But I will make you a better person and I will make you equipped to control more of your future, you know, down the road. And that's what I would say. And especially for people who are, you know, in businesses that are helping other people. If that's your business, well, then your culture should be that. So, and here's another duh moment we had at LinkedIn. We finally realized when we asked the question, why would anyone want to work here? We find that after the company had been around probably five years before we figured this out, the problem we're solving for our consumers is the same problem we should be solving for our employees. Help people find their dream job. You know, if we're LinkedIn and we're helping people find their dream job, gosh darn it, this better be the dream job for everyone working here. It's our birthright. You know, and so if you're helping whatever your small business is, helping people gain financial independence, you better be doing that for your people, because when you do, it makes understanding why we're here that much simpler. You understand? Yeah, I love that, Steve. Mm -hmm. And I love the, the principle of, you know, hey, I might not be able to pay you the most, but here is you are going to come out ahead because of who you're going to be able to become because of the challenges you'll be able to take on. And because of the things that you'll be able to learn here would be kind of my my bounce back to that idea, mm -hmm. Steve, is I think that that takes an exemplary manager in order to help shape people to truly become better versions of themselves, to mm -hmm. help them actually learn and to grow. Because I would I would honestly say most entrepreneurs are very bad managers. They just kind of say, hey, you know, I. I just need to get a bunch of shipments into Amazon. I need you to make sure we never go out of stock. Right. I don't really have like, just, just go figure it out. Now, is that a challenge for the other person? It certainly is, but there's not a regular like cadence or follow-up or like goal setting to actually help to see them progress. If, if you know what I mean? So I guess that would be my question to you, Steve, like maybe, you know, you disagree. Do you think that all entrepreneurs can, you know, offer that? Or do you think that they need to have like a good manager on their team that could actually help these recruits truly become better versions of themselves and learn and grow? Uh, the answer is the highly unsatisfying one, which is it depends. <laughs> Uh, if you've been fortunate enough to hire some people that need very little guidance and oversight and supervision, you don't need to be, you know, thinking about that all the time. You know, and that's what I would say, like, if you're in a business that's changing and growing, man, you better hire people that don't need a lot of guidance, right? Because that takes the pressure off you as a leader. But I also think this is one of the, the biggest, you know, gaps in Silicon Valley. When I look around, we have what I call battlefield promotions everywhere. And most, most of us, and I was, this is probably true most of my career and no disrespect to anyone who's ever managed me, who may be listening to this podcast at some point in the future. Most of my leadership lessons were 
seeing how not to lead, like seeing just people getting yelled at or screamed at or dressed down in a meeting. And I'm like, okay, I'm never doing that because that is just not going to motivate people. And we have few examples of really, really great people, but those ones that we do have cross our paths, we, we really remember. So um, I think there's enormous benefit to having someone with those chops, 100%, because that's the glue. Think about it. Your daily experience in most roles is shaped by the person who's managing you more than anything else. And there's an expression in human resources, you join a company and you quit a boss, okay? So if that person is low, I use always say, the worst boss is someone who has power and is insecure because, and has no children, okay? So then they have no life, they're insecure, and they're gonna steal the credit anytime you do something good, oh, it's my idea, you know? And it's just like, they're gonna suck, they're like, you know, the human vampires, they're just gonna suck the energy right out of you. So be, you know, be thoughtful because, you know, you're shaping the people are giving you this gift of like, I trust you to steward me to a better place in my life. And if you don't care about that, like, what's the point? You know, like what really, what is the point? And I've worked for some monsters uh, in my life. And I hope when, you know, when I pass away, people say, man, I really enjoyed working with Steve. He made me a better person. I got, I got past it. And it's interesting, you know, Josh, one of the ideas I had for LinkedIn, and I think AI will figure this out in the next five to 10 years. I told LinkedIn, I said, listen, what if on LinkedIn people put in who they worked for? Okay. Okay. I worked at IBM and I worked for Gina Rometty or whatever. Uh, now I could go after time and see everyone that worked for Josh, what happened to their career after? And I can compare that to every leader in the industry, every, you know, I can see, whoa, everyone that used to work for Josh has got like a three X velocity increase in terms of where they went, what they did, what their titles are, whatever, or the converse, right? Or, whoa, you know, something's going on there. Like he's putting poison in the Kool-Aid. These people are just like, you know, dropping out of the workforce after they work with Susan or whatever, you know? So I think, you know, it is something to be valued. Uh, and I think, you know, if that's not your jam, you know, leading people and it's not for everyone. And I will tell you, having worked with major organizations around the world, the number one cardinal sin that every organization makes is get your pen out and write this down is believing that the tactical technical expert is the right person to lead a team. Well, if they do it better, they must be good at leading people. No, 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 no. Many people love doing it, but they don't want to, and they're not good at, and then, and they never will be teaching other people how to do it. And the reason this trap becomes deadly is because most organizations revere, praise, reward, and put all the compensation behind leadership, not behind individual contributors. So everyone who is an individual contributor who doesn't want to be a leader thinks that that's the destiny that I need to follow for me to get all the riches and spoils. And the truth is it's not for everyone. It really isn't. And I've seen so many, unfortunately, so many careers wrecked or people get, you know, go off the cliff and it's an unrecoverable moment. Uh, So what I always try to do is build technical paths and then managerial paths so that wherever, wherever you want to go, you got to find a space for that. And I'm sure most of the folks listening may be a little bit too early in that journey. That's okay. But just realize it's not for everyone. Not everyone is cut out for that and wants to do that. And that's okay. That's okay. If you have, you know, the space for, for that, you know, maybe they say this person is really good at that. You're just going to be an advisor on how people can do it, but you're not the person, you know, cause you demotivate them every time you talk to them, you know, like, yeah. that's just not, uh, it's not good. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely think that for our listeners, it's going to be very important for you to do a kind of a self introspection of what type of leader are you or are you even a leader, right? Are you a leader that you want to be able to manage a team and help them become the best version of themselves? Or are you just, I only like ideas and I am just a visionary. I'm very poor at, you know, executing tasks. I'm really good mm-hmm. at coming up with things. Uh, I'm not really good at managing people. I lose my temper real quick. I can't put up with mistakes being made. That's just a part of the natural process. And I think that there that is an art form in and of itself to be able to manage people well, to bring out the best in them. Um, Steve, you talked about one thing here of 
you know, if you're fortunate enough to have hired good people that could be, you know, self-autonomous up until this point, Mm -hmm. out of all of your years and experience advising, consulting and working at LinkedIn, how do you find and identify A-level talent that is going to be self-autonomous, that can think outside the box, that doesn't need a whole book of SOPs just to execute simple procedures? Mm-hmm. I think what you're really trying to solve for here is two words that are, so they, it sounds cheeky, but they really are important and tr- to try to understand is, which is curiosity and growth mindset. And uh, what you're looking for in looking at someone's experience, and you're probably more going to find this in a reference check and really diving into their experiences because uh, everyone's going to tell you, oh, yeah, I'm curious. Oh, yeah, I'm innovative. I'm creative. You know, I'm a I'm a thought leader. I mean, that's just not something you could say. So are you really, you know, someone I'd want to hire? You know, like, <laughs> like, what do you think they're going to say? Oh, no, heck no. Please, let's just end this right now. You don't want to hire me. Uh, and so what you're looking for is, you know, given the introduction of new technologies or new businesses or new models, like, is this person playing it safe or are they really taking some risks? Are they trying new things? Uh, And you try to find examples from that. But, you know, this is where having a really having a good network of people is really important. People whose opinions you you trust and respect. Um, And sometimes in smaller organizations, what I've done is suggest that people outside the organization that they know are still in the interview loop. So, for example, I have friends that run companies. And if they're looking for a leader, sometimes they say, hey, would you just be an interview? Like, we're just going to say you're important, you know, member of our community and we'd like you to interview them. And, you know, you got to make sure that everything's confidential because sometimes they're in in a position where they're employed and and make sure that you're not going to let their employer know. But like I said, I think this is a place where checking references is probably the the best spot for you to try to surface those capacities and those abilities, right? That this person is, you know, inclined to be a self-starter, inclined to not, you know, and then, you know, and then use a little bit of behavioral interview and give me an example of a time when you, you know, saw a problem and you took the initiative to solve it rather than just raise your hand and said, I mean, it's broken, you know, versus like, instead of saying it, like every executive says, don't bring the problem, bring me the problem and your proposed solutions, right? That's what you want to see the, see a pattern of that if you can, you know, and this can be tricky because a lot of organizations have been built for command and control and haven't asked people to, you know, just solve on their own. So someone may have it, but they've may, may have worked in a culture that really suppressed that capacity. Right. So you kind of have to, you have to do your homework a bit. Yeah. Steve, what is your typical like hiring process look like? Um, And I ask you this because, you know, when we had Michael Gerber on the podcast, I asked him the question, how do you go find a level talent? And he gave a great reference of or analogy of, you know, do you know how difficult it is to become a Navy SEAL? And I was like, no, tell me more. Right. And he's like, not only is the application process very difficult and they're very selective, but then they have to go through boot camp. Right. And he said, really, it. At the end of the day, in order to become a Navy SEAL, you have to go through hell and back in order to, you know, actually get into the program. Right. And to make it. Mm-hmm. And he said, so to our business owners, what is your application process like? What is your hiring criteria? Are you just taking any warm body that's applying just because it's the first one that you could find and you need somebody today? Or mm-hmm. are you actually making people like go through a very difficult process so that, you know, You've got somebody that has the chops to do this job. Yeah. What's your I think take su- on that? Such an, yeah. Such an, sorry to cut you off. So, such an important question, Josh. And uh, I think I want to start by backing up a little bit and say very few people know how to interview. Very few people. I train candidates on how to take control of an interview because I say, do not expect the person interviewing you at this company knows what they're doing. And this is the most common trap I see early uh, entrepreneurs make is uh, having an interview and wanting the person to like you. So you're just... You're talking to them and the candidate's thinking, when are they going to ask me a question here? Just like they're telling me about how cool the company is and they're They're moving from, you know, the person looks good. I better start closing them now before they've even assessed whether the person really is capable. So please, please, please. I mean, this is the number one. This is a, like your destiny is going to be driven by how well this person delivers for you. And this is all about, you know, yes, build rapport. And yes, make them feel at ease because then they're going to, you're going to see the most likely you're going to see the best version of that person, but you need to get some Intel. You really need to get some Intel. Um, and so, you know, 
be prepared with with lots of questions. It's is really tricky, Josh, because uh, interviewing in and hiring is kind of an imperfect science. It really is. Having recruited for thirty five years, I can tell you, you know, the only person who's going to be really good at interviewing is someone who's probably interviewed a lot, which means they probably haven't gotten a lot of jobs, and very few jobs are uh, is their job just to be interviewed all the time. So, uh, and and most people are not good about bragging about themselves. Uh, they're not good at, you know, promoting themselves very well. And so you've got this really awkward relationship of the interview is usually not really that good. And the interviewee is not really that good. So it's kind of shocking that we're able to, you know, figure this out at the end of the day. So, you know, and the second thing I will tell you is a lot of leaders don't know what they're looking for. They haven't really thought it through, you know, and, and they've, they've got a job description, which is usually outdated by the time they finished it. Uh, and they're not thinking about, okay, what's the next three to five years? What's the kind of profile I'm looking for? What's the kind of work that I need done now? But what's the work that I'm probably going to need in the next few years? I need someone who can grow and who can learn, who can develop. And I call that high learning velocity. That to me is the most important skill in the world today. I get asked this all the time on television, other, you know, shows and radio and so forth. Steve, you know, tell our listeners what's the most important skill. I said, the most important skill is learning stuff quickly. Because whatever you learn has a shorter shelf life today and that all the scientists, all the research are telling us, whatever you learn is going to be less valuable to you over a shorter period of time than it ever has. So what are you, you going to do about that, right? And just as a case in, case in point, all of you listeners who had to teach your 85-year-old father how to use Zoom during the pandemic, how'd that go for you, right? Technology is not intuitive. You, you ask your you know, 18-year-old son, uh, about some technical problem. They expect the technology is broken and it's not going to work and they're going to experiment. My dad is like, why doesn't this work? I don't see the icon in the lower left side that has a camera with a red line through it. And oh, are you in the app or the window? He goes, what's the difference? And so, you know, we, we have, I, I think with our youth, and this is why I'm optimistic about the future, I think an expectation that, hey, everything's an experiment. And we're just going to, you know, try to figure it out. So, you know, build a process that's, that's, that you feel is, uh, showcasing the best of your company and that is getting the best possible read on this candidate. One interview is never enough. 10 is probably too many. Uh, get someone outside, you know, get varying points of view. And please, 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 if you're going to have someone meet with multiple people in your organization, please don't have them ask the same question every time because you're signaling the candidate. You don't know what you're doing, right? Okay, so tell me, you know, why are you here? Or why do you want this job? If everyone asks the same question, what's the point? You tell the first person, okay, we're going to go for customer service and drive. Uh, you know, next person, you're going to go for tolerance of ambiguity, right? And problem solving. Okay, next person, you're going to go for, you know, rapport building and, you know, something else. Just try to get some variability. And then I believe the best way is not to get notes from people. Hey, what'd you think? Because this is what usually happens. They interview the person and then, I go and Josh, we interview the same person. I'll go to you and I'll say, so do you like them? We're not trying to hire people that, you know, is based on like, it's like, do you think the person can make a difference here? What were the pros? What were, what were the cons? What are the concerns? And here, so that's generally how I do it. Like divide and conquer the key attributes you need for this skill for them to be successful. Then have a committee choice at the end. But if you can, if time is of the essence here, so, and this is especially true at really important candidates that you're going to hire. And this is what I would do. If I was closing a candidate um, and then the next person is the CEO or I'm, I'm interviewing candidate, the next person's the CEO. What I'm going to do before I hand that person over to the next person, I ask the candidate, can you just wait here a minute? I'll be right back. I'm going to go talk to the next person and say, hey, this, this candidate does these things, I think, really, really well. I'm not sure what's going. Something happened when they were working at Johnson & Johnson. They didn't share it with me, but can you go there? Or like, I'm not really sure that they really know how to code in this language. They talked a good game, but I'm not sure. Can you, can you go at that? You see what I'm saying? So now you've got, like, we're honing, the, we're nail, narrowing the funnel, if you will, on what, you know, concerns we might have or making ourselves more confident, right? Yeah. So that, that's, those are some ideas. I don't, I don't like to get too formulaic around it, but um, you know, be respectful of the candidate's time. Like they can't take four or five days, different days to come visit you if they're working somewhere else. I mean, there's only so, so many, you know, trips to the dentist that they can, you know, right. offer to their employer to escape. Right. And be, be respectful and try not to do it on weekends either. I mean, that's family time, right? Yeah, no, I think that I love that. My biggest takeaway from that, Steve is, 
having a let's say it's a committee of interviews, right, mm-hmm. where, you know, the CEO interviews the candidate, but then maybe your COO or maybe it's, you know, one of the other managers, maybe it's the person who will actually be managing this candidate. They interview them separately rather than just being on one group interview. I love the idea of, all right, CEO had their chance. The manager had their chance. Now we're going to come back. And, and I think that like sharing information as well between those interviews in advance is super important as well. But then being able to like make a selection based off of committee rather than one person because I emotionally jived or our personalities clicked. I like this guy. You know, I yeah. think it's always good to have, you know, another perspective. And I think that that's kind of like the mindset shift that I've had. Yeah. Um, let me give you a note, few. Let me give the audience yeah. just a few tricks. OK, a few tricks love and a few it. hacks in the process that may work for you. Questions that I always love to start my interviews with is walk me through your resume. And it's not anything more than what what was the thing you're most proud of doing and why did you leave? OK, that I always want to know. Just tell me the whole story. Like what were what were the drivers that made them want to leave? And you know what were the things that they're most proud of? Then I want to go, you know, who, who's the best person you ever worked for and why? And who's the least best person you work for and why? So I want to try to get a picture of what kind of leadership they want to see if I can deliver on that or not or what their triggers are. And if I'm seeing someone surface that every boss is an idiot that they've ever had, guess what you think I, I'm going to expect? I'm going to be the next idiot. You know, it's like, I don't know what, you know, I don't know necessarily if I want that drama. Um, number Number three. I have seen multiple times in my career, someone be a star for me and a dud next door or a dud next door and a star for me. So just be mindful of that different environments and leaders bring out different things in people. So, you know, your a player, that was sort of the genesis of this question, like trying to find the a player um, is, uh, you know, largely environmentally, you know, uh, impacted. So, you know, try to find out where is the best and maybe they haven't been in an environment like yours, so they don't know. Right. So if, they, if you're interviewing, for example, the audience is interviewing someone that's only worked for big companies. Is that person really going to handle the chaos that you're going to offer in that environment where there's no process document for everything that you guys are doing? They're like, hey, so, for example, one of the big mistakes we made at LinkedIn when we got really big and we saw a billion dollar destiny in front of us was let's go hire a bunch of people who've led a billion dollar business. That was a flawed thinking. What we should have said is let's go hire people who've built a billion dollar business because all the people who led it didn't build it. And they came and asked for three secretaries and we're like, whoa, 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 we don't have any secretaries here. What are you talking about? And if we do, they're shared with like five executives. So and that and building skill, and this is really, really important. Just, just from a strategic recruiting targeting point of view, uh, you want probably this audience wants builders, not sustainers. What environments have you been in where you've been building not just punching a clock or, or trying to save it. Most of my professional career was in the downside of a company's life. Like we're, you know, throwing jewelry overboard, cutting staff, you know, trimming expenses. That wasn't fun. You know, I went, I grew through, uh, you know, my career was through the dot-com bubble bursting, laid 8,000 people off at Cisco and second mortgage crisis, let a ton of people go. And as the electronic arts video game industry was getting hammered and EA hadn't figured out the Nintendo was the next wave. So we were just like struggling. And then I get to LinkedIn and I go, okay, I'm going to hire more people now than I've ever let go of my entire career. And we hired thousands, which was really, uh, really inspirational, but it is tricky is really hard and coming up with the process that you, that you believe in and just iterate. Like one thing that you should definitely do if you mishired is debrief. What did we get wrong? Like, could we have seen that? Did we not call enough references? Was there a clue that we overlooked in the interview process? Uh, and conversely, all your stars that you have hired, like, look at that. Like, what did we get right? And how did we get that right? Like, why, you know, was it there from a particular experience or a country or do they have multiple language skills? Like, what is it about the person who's thriving here that we can learn from so that that profile we can go find again? Right. And most companies, is, they don't think about it that strategically. This is your company. And that gets to another thing. I see so many people out. So I'm going to hire a search firm. Why would you hire a search firm? This is the most important muscle you have is building your team. You got to be good at that. And if you're not, get someone to come train you, but you got to own that. You can't, you outsource that. You're missing all kinds of inform, you know, opportunities to really see, you know, really good information. Yeah. Steve, I love what you just said there, that last knowledge bomb of why outsource 
you know, uh, the hiring of key individuals or really any staff on your team. As a CEO, I think one of the most important things that you have is being able to identify good talent and being able to make sure the right people are in the right seat. And I think that especially as a new startup entrepreneur, like you're not going to have a, you know, chief HR, uh, you know, rep or manager, right? You're not going to have all of these, you know, flashy titles or C-suite level individuals. So as as the CEO or just as an entrepreneur, I feel like it is so crucial to get the training that you just referenced in order to understand and create a good process to identify A-level talent. And I would argue of all the investments that you can make in your business, that one will have the largest ROI and provide dividends for the business to just continue to expand and grow exponentially. Would you agree? percent. Yeah. Thumbs up on that, man. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yep. Steve, one last thing I kind of want to dive into. We've talked about some great hiring tips, tactics. I guess my other, mm -hmm. one question to that is, do you have any other quick hits for us there before I take us into another topic? Uh, okay. So I had a friend who was in a big marketing role at uh, a big technology company. Uh, I think it was called Facebook at the time. I think they're now meta. He had a practice of every time he had a candidate in his secretary would go in first and say, Hey, uh, you know, Sally's running behind or Bill's running behind. Um, so I'm just going to sit here and keep, and keep you company. Okay. So the secretary, and it was very clear that they were the secretary. He used that intentionally to see how that person was going to treat the secretary. You know, it's like, go get me a coffee or, you know, not, not pay any attention. Just look at their phone or something, or are they going to treat that person with respect? And this is really important to my friend that this person is going to treat everyone the same, regardless of title or status in the company. And he said, you know, 30% of the time he, he would, he, something would get outed in that experience that, that didn't go well. And, um, the secretary would come back and then they'd go back in and say, yes, yeah, sorry, there's been a schedule change. Uh, we'll have to reschedule the interview. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just like, we don't have time for this crap. Okay. You're going to wow. come in here with your, you know, stomping around on people. That's not how we roll, you know? And so it was a little bit of a hack that they, that they, that worked for them. I never used that, uh, that hack. I that love was that. Fun. Yeah. I, I love that hack, Steve. Mm -hmm. I any other hacks that you have? Because I think it's all these like little gold nuggets when it comes to, you know, an interviewing question or anything like that. Anything yeah. else that you There's, have to there, Okay. So there, here's another one for you. If scheduling the interview becomes trying to solve like world hunger, there's a sign there. Okay. Especially if you're flying this person in. I mean, it's just like, oh gosh, you know, I need to have this. I need to have an aisle seat. I need to like, oh gosh, you know, oh, this is killing me. Like, you know, we're a startup here. What are you talking about? All these special perks like they're okay. So you're, you're giving me a signal of entitlement in every interaction that we have, you know, that's gotta be on your terms. Yeah. Uh, and that's just going to parlay in, um, you know, when you come into the office. So just look for all those signals. They're, they're very, very revealing. If you can, another thing that uh, that's worked well for us is get them out of the office. If you can, if they're, if it's in a key role, go to lunch, go to coffee, get them out. We are all as humans, probably more our authentic selves in an informal setting. And when you're in the office, in a conference room, some boring, cheesy, you know, nothing, no artwork on the walls, sort of impersonal space. That's not probably where you're going to get the person to sort of lower their guard. Um, and so, you know, I would recommend, you know, trying to do that here. And here's another one. Last one I'll give you. <laughs> he really got me going here. It's like I a like treasure it. of keep like it, all these old going. things. Keep it going. Um, I measure my top talent as much by what questions they ask than what answers they give me. That shows me intellectual curiosity. That shows me what's on their mind, you know? Uh, and I love the question that, you know, I always tell people to ask, um, which is at the end of the interview, Hey, is there anything in this interview that would give you pause by hiring me? Is there anything that there's a concern? Cause if I'm a candidate, you know, I want to know. And so if they ask me that, I'm always honest with them. It's like, well, you know, we are looking for someone with a little more depth here. I'm not sure that's going to be a real inhibitor for you getting hired, but that's something that if you had more would make me more confident in your candidacy. I'm just letting you know right now. So I'm, I'm never over promising the, the candidate. Right. Um, and then the, okay, there's a another one, which I love, and this is a reference check question 
that please use it. Um, if you're calling a reference on someone who had left that company, you know, years before, ask the person when Josh left that role, what was different about the next person you hired in that role? Okay. So what that question will often reveal is, well, if Josh wasn't good with time management, they're going to say, well, the next person was really good with time management, which is basically saying Josh wasn't really good in our opinion with time management. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. what was there when the, someone, when someone, whenever someone leaves a company, our intent, our usual intent is, well, they did these things really well, but they didn't do these. So let's go swing the pendulum to cover some things that weren't covered as well in uh, the last person we had. So it's just a really good non-confrontational opportunity for you to get a tell about the candidate a little bit, right? Rephrase that question then, Steve. How should we be asking this question in a reference check? Okay. So, um, you know, whoever the candidate's name is, so let's say, say it's Josh, you know, after Josh left, the person you hired to replace Josh, uh, what attributes did they have? Okay. Or did you, did you change the job at all when Josh left? If you did, what were the changes? And the next person that came in, how were they different from Josh? Okay. It could, you might, might end up with nothing, but a lot of times I've asked that and I've got some really in, interesting insights. Yeah. I like mm -hmm. that rather than asking the question, like, what was their biggest weakness? Cause then, exactly. like, you know, people are like, eh, not a lot, right? They, right. they were fine. So right. I, I love that. It's kind of a mask of like the underlying issue you're trying to get to is like, what are their weaknesses? Yeah. What are the watch outs? Yeah. Love that and, question. And another way to ask it is if I hired Josh, what would be your coaching to me to set Josh up for success? Mm. Okay. Um, you know, oh, Josh needs a lot of, you know, you got to really detail all this to Josh or you got to really give him this or he needs a hug every morning, you know, comes in a yeah. little cranky, you know, and, and just, and that, and that is with the intent of, you know, positive, like, or in, and a lot of times we'll, you know, if we're close to making an offer, like, Hey, we we're heading towards, you know, likely making an offer. What is your coaching to me? So, so he hits the ground running, you know? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Love that, Steve, man, my, I could just keep going down this rabbit hole of uh, hiring. We're going to need hats. another episode. That's what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. For yeah. real. I love this. <laughs> All right, Steve, one quick thing that I want to like wrap up. We talked about this offline, but one of the best predictors of job success is not the interview process. It's not the their resume. It is actual on the job, doing the actual job, right? You mm -hmm. had recommended one of the best things to do is if it is at all possible, is hiring people for a temporary, maybe one month internship. Can mm -hmm. you tell me how you've seen that work in the past and why that would be so important? Well, I know that works because when we had struggles at LinkedIn recruiting, we flipped to more of an internship model. And that comes with a, it comes, you know, with a, the internship model comes with a little bit of a tax in that you're going to have to train people a lot more. You know, if you're hiring with the beginning of their career, uh, but the offer acceptance rate when someone's in there tasting your culture, seeing your leadership style and you see them operate in your culture. Now you just have a greater both parties have a greater confidence level. Our close rate went from like 60 percent to 97 percent for intern conversions uh, of the people that we wanted. And so I think that's just the the old, I mean, it's too bad that there isn't a practice in the world of everyone has twice a year, one week. Or, or no, a month, you know, maybe it's once it's just too impractical, you know, to, to take that time off from, from a job. It's like, you're going to go do an internship somewhere else. And if you like it, you do it, you know, and I'm sure everyone's yeah. read the article or heard of it. And if you haven't, it's, it's interesting to hear Zappos used to have a policy and then maybe they still do. I think they're part of Amazon now where they would pay you to go interview somewhere else. Mm. Just to reaffirm, like, this is, you know, the grass may be greener, so go check it out. You know, take a couple of days a year. We'll pay you. Go interview. And, you know, we believe that how we're treating people, the culture we build here, your future is going to be better here. So we're going to give you the chance to do that, which is very, very bold, right? Very, yeah. and very progressive. Yeah. You've got to have a, you got to be very confident that you've got mm -hmm. an amazing culture that is super sticky right. uh, to do that. Right. Right. I love and, and, it, and with that comes this belief that you're, you know, we don't own you, but we have a lot of confidence that we built something that's really worth being in. You know, it's kind of like, yeah. this, you know, reverse sales, reverse psychology sales tactic. You know, it's like, oh, you're probably not, you know, this car is probably not, you're not ready for this car. You know, what, what do you mean? You know, I want that car. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Fantastic information, Steve. This has been so much fun today. 
Now, as we wrap up, I love to leave our audience with three actionable takeaways from every episode. So, Steve, here are the three actionable takeaways that I noted. You let me know if you think I'm missing something or if there's something else we didn't cover today that you think we need to tack on here at the end. But first and foremost, I think what you need to do is determine the culture that you are trying to create in your business. It may be, maybe it's just you. Maybe you have an assistant working in your business. If that's the case, then you guys need to brainstorm and put out on paper, you know, why is it that people would want to work here? And what is it that's going to set us apart from, you know, the Googles or the LinkedIn's or the Netflix's right of the world? Mm-hmm. Why would people want to come work for you? And how are you going to attract a level talent from others? Okay. Action item number two. I'm going to go down the quick hitting list of all of the great hacks and tips that Steve shared with us. I think that number one, you shared, I'm going to kind of read back what you kind of talked about in the interview process, walk through their resume and you want to ask the questions, why did you leave that job and what were you most proud of? And I think those questions are going to reveal a lot about what things they did What ended up pushing them out of that job? Was it an actual manager or did they leave on their own volition? Mm -hmm. Um, Another question, who have out of their career, who have been some of the best managers or bosses that they've worked for and Mm -hmm. who's been the worst? And like you mentioned, if everybody's a bad boss, guess what? You're naturally Mm going to be the next bad boss on their (laughs) resume. Um, You talked about what environments have they been in in order for them or what environments have they been in where they've been creating things, right? Um, right? Not just, you know, hey, I've been following this SOP checklist for the last five years. It's no, I'm the one who actually created the checklist. I'm the one who solved the problem and the, biz- the business is better for it, right? That's yep. a, something you should be looking for. Um, another thing you should be looking for from the candidate is what questions are they asking you? Or do they just simply come at, and then you ask them, hey, what questions do you have for me? They're like, none. Okay, right? You're, you don't mm-hmm. have that curiosity that you talked about or the growth mindset because somebody that's very growth-minded and curious should have questions because they know how important this next job is going to be in their future career. And so if you really want A-level talent, they should be asking good questions. And then a couple extra ones. Um, when Josh left, right, or the candidate's name, what changed in that position since he left or what was that other person that came in? What was different about the processes, right? That will help reveal Mm -hmm. maybe some of those areas of weakness. And then last thing loved this question as a reference check, you know, Hey, if I hire Josh, how should I coach him to get the best out of him to get, Mm -hmm. get the best performance. And again, you're going to have somebody that will possibly open up and help share with you. Yeah. Josh is really emotional. He has really big highs and lows throughout the day. So do X, Y, and Z. And and again, you can determine, does that work for you and your culture? So it goes back to action item number one. At the end of the day, make sure as you go through and you're vetting these candidates, will they add and build to your culture or will they detract from your overall culture? Right. And then I'm going to say last action item is number three. You talked about how pivotal this was at LinkedIn but maybe kind of shifting to a more, uh, you know, internship offer first model where maybe you're not getting people from that have been, you know, career professionals for the last 20 years. They're not going to have the time to do an internship for a month, but you get new people out of college or they're fresh from, you know, trans transitioning from another career. If you get them in, you have the opportunity to better see their output, how they work within your culture rather than just making a lot of assumptions, which is what typically happens in the interview process. So my third and final action item is implement some type of internship program for almost every single role in your business. And that's going to be the best training program to make sure that you actually have somebody that's going to be able to help grow your business and take it to the next level. Yeah. And Josh, what I would do to add on to that is basically, I mean, I can capture the last bucket on recruiting uh, under the following, like, really be thoughtful and strategic and recognize the competitive advantage of being really good at, at recruiting and, and thinking about it. Uh, and I also think, and this is a story for another time, that the future of businesses 
are not fully autonomous, independent units, but ecosystems. And so think about interns in terms of like, is there a community college nearby? Is there a junior college? Is there a university where I can have interns here all the time? And this, they could get credit for it. And now mm-hmm. I'm getting, and you know, and pay them, a, pay them a fair wage, but I can get credit. And then, or is there a school that I can partner with that they can help solve my business problems? I give it to them. This is something we did at LinkedIn with University of uh, California, Santa Barbara. Their data science program was solving similar stuff that what we were doing. So we gave them some stuff, you know, um, and they gave us in turn some of their best, you know, professors and candidates. And we wound up hiring a couple of professors you know, wow. to work for us. Yeah. And some of them was just for a few months or a contract or a summer or whatever. But that that. I believe that the future, because things are changing so fast, if you really think you're the only smart one who's going to figure this out, uh, I think you're really going to limit or handicap your capacity to be successful building an ecosystem of talent and smart people out there, especially with AI coming in. I mean, we don't even, even the creators of AI don't know how it's going to impact it, but we all know it's going to be substantial and significant. So you better be building your AI ecosystem today. And that's probably, I mean, I'm sure some, some guests that you've got lined up, Josh, because uh, all my clients are wanting to, to talk about that. And the first thing I do is say, uh, stop. Stop trying to implement something with AI. Go fill a, a, you know, a board of your AI strategy, you know, put an AI strategy board together with your investors, your board of directors, your talent that knows it um, because we've got something really big coming. And that's, I think that takes the burden off of us as leaders to have to know and solve everything is just build a community, build these advisory boards that can really help you with the hard stuff. Yeah. I love that, Steve. Steve, this has been an amazing conversation today. Uh, My mind is just churning with ideas (laughs) and how we are going to change the way that we hire our team members. But I hope that our listeners understand this is one of the most crucial skills to develop as an entrepreneur, as a leader, as a CEO. So I hope they don't gloss over this. They're probably going to have to listen to this on repeat a couple times (laughs) to digest all the nuggets that you shared with us today. Steve. I'm going to go through our final three questions. Number okay. one, what's been the most influential book that you've read and why? Oh, gosh, it's always a hard one for me. And I usually I'm go with recency, but I'm not going to go recency this one. Uh, I think m- most of my thinking was most shaped in my life by a book by Peter Singer called The Fifth Discipline. And The Fifth Discipline comes with a field guide. It's so heady. Uh, and I took a class on it. I've read it. I've read it a couple of times. But basically, it reveals to you in every group of human beings. There are patterns of behavior that form and it raised my awareness of those. And, and it's so true. Like he comes up with like, I don't know, 20 archetypes. He calls them. Uh, for example, one of them is it's called tragedy of the commons. You get a superstar and everyone leans on the superstar and everyone gives a superstar more work. And then the superstar burns out and they leave. So it's just a common pattern that we get into and it really helps you get in front of that. Uh, so that's, that's definitely a book that I would recommend. I mean, it's, it's not like a quick read on an airplane. It's like you, you're going to, it's kind of like the Bible. You know, you just sit down. Okay. Today I'm going to focus on this chapter. Okay. And you can come back to it. It's really, really good. Yeah. I love it. Haven't had that book recommended before. So I love mm-hmm. having a new book cool. on, on here. Great. Uh, Steve, next question. What is your favorite productivity tool or maybe a new software that you feel like is going to be a game changer? Uh, gosh, for me, uh, like a lot of people, I'm sure, Sleep has been a big area of inquiry for me. And so my game changer is a bunch of, it's all around that. So I use my Apple watch to really, and there's a few apps on there that really help me see how much sleep am I getting? How deep is my sleep? What's my heart rate? I've correlated that with when I have alcohol, when I don't have alcohol, when I have sugar, when I don't have sugar, when I eat. And so I'm going through a pattern now of greater self-awareness. So today I have, uh, I mean, I'm sitting here feeling really energized and I know I had a wonderful sleep last night, even though my Niners lost yesterday. I have a wonderful sleep uh, last night. And so uh, the Calm app is definitely one that uh, more and more companies are giving away for free. But that's huge productivity is just having that clarity uh, and feeling more um, aware of what uh, habits I have that have been creating some bad patterns for me to be, you know, really fully engaged and doing my best stuff. Love it. I I completely echo your sentiments there. Mm -hmm. Final question. Who is somebody that you admire or respect the most in the e-commerce space that other people should be following and why? Uh, Okay. This one's going to be controversial. 
I'm sure. Uh, but it's, uh, I'm not even sure I'm going to pronounce his name right. So I'm going to try to, you know, say, so Shu Zichu, who is the Singaporean leader of TikTok, uh, what they have built there is what I think every media company wants, which is entertainment that learns about you, that serves you stuff that you want to use and buy. I cook more food from TikTok recipes than I do any other recipes. I have all kinds of things coming to me from the TikTok shop. Um, you know, it's just, they've got a model there. It's just fascinating to me, just fascinating. And I love how all these, you know, first time entrepreneurs that are, are leveraging it and going independent are having a chance. And it's not a perfect system. And there's, I'm sure they're still figuring it out. And there's, it's, you know, there are some things that they need to work through, but that's a pretty impressive model that I've been paying a lot of attention to lately. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Lots of game changing technology coming out. Yep. Now, Steve, if people want to follow you, they want to learn more about the books, you know, they want to follow you as you come out with your new book. Where's the best place for people to follow you and stay up to date and learn more about sure. you? Yeah, sure. I have a website, stevecadian.com. Most of my um, opportunities come through people who go to the website and see, does this guy really know what he's doing? And then they'll fill out a contact form and then I'll be on a plane to help them and their, their team and their organization. So that's one. Uh, for some comedic relief, I have a TikTok channel. It's called Steve Cadigan. Uh, and I have a series there called True Stories from Corporate America. And I, these are stories that like is going to raise the hair on the back of your neck. Like, did that really happen? Yes, it really happened. Um, so I try to change the name and protect the innocent or when it's already in the news, I won't do that. But uh, just sort of give a little bit of humor. So those are the places. And obviously you can follow me on LinkedIn. I am a pretty prolific poster of content there, stories that I see, things that are really interesting. Uh, and mainly it's around why we need to be better as leaders out there and, and all the stories of the hall of shame of people doing some really crappy stuff as leaders that we can do better and we deserve better. So, but yeah, those are the best places to find me. Awesome. Well, I highly recommend our listeners uh, follow along, whether it's the entertaining stories or the practical, uh, you know, leadership stories to improve your leadership abilities. Um, but Steve, thank you so much for your time today. We are much better for it. And maybe we'll have to do another podcast down the road. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. And thank you for what you're doing here, helping so many entrepreneurs. Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.